Blog Talk Radio. I know you are too. I'm fired up. I know some of your reasons for delight are going to be different than mine, but we'll get to that. And, you know, all is fair. Got to talk about everything. Stuff that caused you happiness this weekend, caused me sadness. We'll get to that. We got Kentucky football to get to, Kentucky basketball to get to. And I said it in that order first because we kind of had some big football news jump off. Right in the minutes and hours leading up to the show, uh, Stephen Trump in Kentucky went on Mississippi State last night because we have some movement within the staff on the football side because DJ Elliott is taking the job at Colorado. What were your thoughts when you saw it? I saw Jen Smith tweeted out from her leader, our good friend, and on the show many times. Kind of a weird time. I mean, the news itself, not that big of a deal, but I think when you when you factor in uh, just the timing of it, uh, just seemed just seemed weird. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm not too, uh, you know, I'm not too gung ho either way. I thought the defense played really well this year, and that was part of. Uh, the success of this year, uh, kind of a bend, don't break. They're very opportunistic, and I think that was highlighted with the Louisville game. Uh, but we also know that things really turned around once Coach Stoops started paying more attention to the defense and became a little bit more hands-on. I think that yeah. moving forward, uh, one of the quotes I saw, and I can't remember who, who uh, I don't want to misquote anybody, but basically that, that Stoops wasn't in a big hurry to uh, to find a replacement. So I don't know how that's going to, to look moving forward, but I do know that with him being hands-on, the defense really kind of turned around. Uh, so I think it's, it's a loss, definitely. You lose a little bit of that continuity, but – uh, but moving forward, I, I don't see it being that big of an issue. Here's my first thought. Uh, I might be all alone. I might be wrong. But Coach Elliott's been with Coach Stoops forever. 
and then you know, in reading Jeff's article back to the late 90s, they were working together. Uh, so Jeff came to Kentucky from Florida State with Coach Stoop. Um, and like you mentioned, Coach Stoop got a little more hands-on after the New Mexico State game. Uh, he uh, took a more active role, paid more attention. And as Jim Valco brought out, he, he gave Coach Elliott a lot of props with the game plan and day-to-day organization and this and that. And they work well together. But as far as I know, this is the first time Coach Stoops kind of stepped in and took a more active role since they did in Kentucky. And then the year's over, and Coach Elliott takes a, a lateral move a move to a similar position, if it wasn't, you know, taking the head coach's job, going to go be a defensive coordinator elsewhere after nearly two decades again. I don't want to make him read too much into it, but maybe Coach Stilley didn't care for that. You know, he was still grinding and being supportive, but maybe he, he wasn't thrilled that move was made, and maybe he decided to go ahead and make some move. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. As you said, they build the staff from within, they promote from within, or if he looks to, to make a hire and bring somebody in to build the Yeah, it, it, it's definitely something you want to keep an eye out because this season has provided the Cats with a lot of momentum. Uh, and I think I speak for all Big Blue Nation when I say, you know, we want to keep that moving forward. Um, so I think there's going to be a little bit of an onus on uh, Coach Stoops to to make the right decision. And I don't know if you hire outside, promote from within, but you want to definitely see him make the the, the best decision for the program. And I feel that that's what's you know that's what's going to happen. And you, we saw last year be a little turbulent with the offensive coordinator hire Shannon Dawson and we see a complete one eighty when Eddie Green comes in, though they were different jobs philosophically. Coach Shoots may have had more implicit trust in Coach Grant from the get go, where Shannon Dawson not so much. You don't want to see that now on the defensive side. Like you said, you want to keep the momentum going. We're not recruiting guys, but Kentucky is recruiting very, very well since the win over Louisville and the bowl uh, appearance, the tax player bowl, uh, the better to make the inroads and all that. Signing day is a couple weeks away. Uh, you definitely want to make sure the class you got stays together, you know, the recruits. I'm not sure, you know, whatever you heard recruiting, you always heard this Merrill's name a lot. I don't know how huge of a recruiter DJ Elliott was in relation to the rest of the guys that are still going to be there. But you definitely want to keep that staff going. You know, the rankings and all that Kentucky is climbing and, and trending upward, and you got a lot to build on. Like you said, you just want to keep that ball rolling because it took a lot of work to get to where they are. So you don't want to see them roll up the hill and then see the snowball roll right back down off the top of them before they can kind of get to the peak of it. Yeah, and it's, and it's all about momentum, but I still think that the uh, I think the program is in good shape. 
so I, I don't anticipate this being a, a huge setback for uh, for the Wildcats and Coach Dukes. Yeah, and if it's <laughs> worse than the worst, Coach Dukes can just, you know, get hands on again like he did this year. But hopefully he'll get a coordinator or somebody from the end and just, you know, keep it rolling like they did. Um, if you want to call us, we didn't even do that. We should jump right in. 845 at Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. We got some poll questions that we threw out there for the Twitter folks, Facebook page. We got all that to get to. But now, man, we can jump in. Uh, you got some on the football stuff in the last night, Child Fest in Starkville, and, and discuss that a little bit. I don't know if you was balling last night or did you watch it all, but uh, – it was it was something else down there in Michigan State. Yeah, I I went and uh, I, I I play basketball. That's kind of become my thing on the on Tuesday nights, and I'm kind of loath to to give that up. But before even for the Kentucky game, but uh, what struck me is I'm looking, you know, I'm checking between games, and I look, oh, it's you know, 15, 16 point lead. Play a couple games, take a break. Oh, it's down to three. Uh, one thing I think about with games like that is uh, I think that uh, road games are always tough. And, you know, people laugh when Cal says, you know, we're, we're people's Super Bowls, uh, especially going through the SEC on the road. And last night was a T-shirt night. And I tweeted this out before the game that I would love to do a documentary on T-shirt games in Kentucky. Because I don't know if that happens with Duke when they go to the ACC or North Carolina or whoever. But when Kentucky comes to town, it really is an event. And it's just kind of strange. I've just – I've tried to do a little bit of Google searching on if it happens with other teams. I haven't had a a whole lot of – uh, uh, luck with that But as far as the game itself uh, You know I played my game Played pretty well last night But I come back I follow On Twitter follow the ESPN app Come back and I'll, I DVR of course And watch a little bit of it But here's some good things This is what you need to keep in mind uh, with, the, with the big blue nation needs to keep in mind Is You're going to have to win Ugly games to win and when you can go on the road, and I know we can talk about how good or bad the SEC is, but road games are tough. And when you have your, your big guns kind of misfiring due to fouls, due to whatever, you need Derek Willis and Winyan Gabriel to step up. You need those guys. And you can look back, and again, I think I talked about this last week or the week before, we can romanticize looking back at 2012, looking back, at 98, 96, uh, and even just, you know, Final Four teams. You know, we talk about the the 2014-15 season when they went to uh, Texas A&M, a double overtime game, which was – and none of the big guns were firing, and that's when U.S. kind of had his coming out party. But you can look at each one of those successful Kentucky seasons, and there is a game or two or three, a road game, 
against a on paper overmatched SEC team where there's no flow, the big guns just aren't bringing it, and you have to look at maybe the seventh or eighth guy to step up and play. And here's where I can tell folks this team is pretty good because the seventh and eighth guys, the ninth guys maybe, you look at Gabriel and Willis, that four position has been a huge question mark for most of the season, and they answered the bell. So rather than be a half, uh, a half-empty kind of person, I look at it half-full. When you can play not very well and still pull a win out, I think that's a good thing. Uh, Dominic Hawkins uh, hit a big three to kind of stop that drive uh, or stop that run that Mississippi State was on. Uh, We need those guys to make plays to win games. You know, we, we need unsung guys to do it. Again, I challenge people, go back and watch the 1996 title game. Okay? We all know Tony Delk hit his seven threes. But, but the other guys on the team really didn't put up the numbers. Ron Mercer scores 20, and, and that was his career high to that point. So you need guys to step up at various times. That's what makes a team even more dangerous. I don't want to be a situation where, okay, Fox goes out, Monk goes out, and everything stops. We should still be able to, to fight and overcome, particularly against some of these lesser SEC teams. Uh, so I'm encouraged by the, the the game last night. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I'm not one to say that a game is unwatchable. Hardly ever. I mean, you hear that a lot. You hear media fans. You know, baseball games too long. There's too much this, too much that. Uh, last night. I, I saw it um, just because the, the foul calls were ridiculous. You know, we, we've seen the referees call games tight. Uh, we, we get that. Players have to adjust. That's always going to be the case. But last night it was so, I mean, every little thing, whistle, 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 whistle. At the beginning, it, I mean, they were calling it tight, but it was like Kentucky was getting all the calls. Man, we got a, a friendly road whistle, and then it kind of flipped, and Mississippi State was getting all the calls, and then it just got to the point where every little thing anybody did was just getting a foul call uh, on the box out or a screen. Every little thing. Some of the some of the times where guys. You know, jab step or real quick, try to fake one way and go the other way. They call that a travel. Sometimes they do. A lot of times I don't think they do. This going to be more where you just kind of show the ball, kind of hung it out there, not running up behind the back, but just hung the ball out and then went hard to his right. They called it for travel. Every little thing was getting called. Your boy, Sean Farnham, was doing the game with a – Brent Musburger, I know you've met him covering games at Rappalina. Sean Farnham done to be like halfway, three quarters away from the first half, he was done with the rest. He's like, this is 
it's just insane how many ovary systems out that were called. There were times he just pointed like the death and he could recall. That he said, I he said, I can't. I, I can't. I can't. He was on the air done with the foul. It was so much. Uh, he was on Twitter, I'm sure you saw it as well. But that, that and even at the end of the second half of the Auburn game, before, you know, this thing has started, boop, 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 and I think I tweeted that well so much for this thing has started all the kind of flow. But last night, you know, Ted Valentine and company took it to another level. And, you know, we don't ever talk about refs for any reason on this show, but that was ridiculous last night. Well, it, it, here's my point on referees. I, I've kind of been on this, beating this drum for a long time. Uh I don't get into the do do the officials favor one team or the other. I think what coaches, what players are looking for is consistency. And that's, that's your number one. If, if, if you've got a three-man crew, and, and this is one thing I think where the NFL, where football in general does it better, where you have the same crew – you, you work you work those games together. I think that works out better because you can talk to football players. And they know, hey, if we've got Ed Hockley's crew, we kind of know how the game is going to be officiated. With basketball, uh, particularly college basketball, with each official being an ind- uh, independent contractor, you get a mix mash of all kinds of of, of calls. So. And I don't know if people know too much about officiating, but when you rotate, you know, on a foul call, you know, you got your three officials, they kind of rotate around to make the foul call. What one official in the crew may call uh, an offensive foul underneath the basket, the other one may let go. And you don't get that consistency. You don't get that flow. Also, because they're independent contractors, they're not really beholden to any kind of governing body. So you can have coaches, and it's, and it's ridiculous, and you can see, I believe it's Carl Hess, Doug Shiles with Cal. The two of those guys give him like 80% of his technical fouls since he's been at, been at Kentucky, and that's an issue. Uh, situations like Joey Crawford in the NBA, you know, with the Spurs, you know, he threw Tim Duncan out of the game for laughing on the bench. Well, you shouldn't be able to officiate those games when it becomes kind of obvious, okay, for whatever reason, there's something there. Uh, but we still see that. One of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to officiating is calling out of your zone. And this is where we see the Teddy Valentines, the Doug Shells, uh, uh Sermons. I can't remember Sermons first name. That Doug. Doug Sermons, yeah. That call they will be at one far end of the court and make a call. And I think kind of overrule a less seasoned official. You cannot make a foul call from 60 feet away. Can't do that. You, you, you just simply can't. And I don't think people understand you know, when you're on floor level and, and, you know, you and I have had those seats, you know, watching the uh, cats warm up. It's hard to see through bodies. If you're on one side of the court and you've got to look through nine people, you, you're, there's a lot of guesstimation. 
you have to let the official right there make that call. Unless you've got a clear definitive shot, a, a look at it, you can't make that call. And so, and you can see when coaches get frustrated when the trail official that's at half court calls something in the paint. No, no. I mean, that is a, just a huge pet peeve. And then you get like TV Teddy. I hate, hate, hate the, when the officials get so demonstrative with the calls. Foul, call your whatever, but don't do that. Basketball officials, it's gotten ridiculous with the emphatic and one, with the emphatic, you know, the, you know they get caught up in the hometown uh, atmosphere, and I think that's bad. That's one thing I like about the NFL. And, again, football kind of lends itself more to, hey, let's get together. What did you see? What did you see? I understand basketball is bang, bang right there in front of you. But I would expect a little bit more decorum uh, from the official. Uh, so consistency, calling in their zone, a little bit more decorum, and I think I think you'll see things change. Yeah, and – like I say, I don't even worry about it. It has to be really bad for me to even say anything about it. And here's, here's the thing. You're not going to sing games, you know, the game's going up and down. There, there's a, a, a moment or two where tempers flare, things get heated, and then the next five or six minutes, next five or eight times up the court, the calls tighten up, and, you know, the refs trying to regain control to keep things escalating, you know, to, to reduce that cheapness and, and weed that out. This game didn't have anything like that. There wasn't any chippiness that caused the refs to react by calling it tight. The game started out being called tight. Okay, so players had to adjust. A lot of guys were getting in foul trouble. All right. But it was just so tight, so herky jerky, no flow, that there ended up being cheating. I mean, it was like, let them play, and the, some of those instances last night, I don't think, would have happened. It was kind of the reverse. It was called so tight, it led to some dust ups. Well, and, and that's the thing. You know, the, the officials try to, uh, and this is what I hate, is when the officials try to take control of the game. And it's, and, in, in basketball, in my mind, it is slowing game. It's up and down. You go from offense to defense. It's a back-and-forth situation. The best games to watch are those games where you're just letting the guys play. I, I mean, I think uh, the UCLA game, the UNC game this year, beautiful games to watch. One of I think the the best games as far as flow for me was the 2012 tournament game against Indiana where the officials just kind of said, hey, we're going to let you guys play. And and I love that. I I don't like it when the officials try to interject themselves. Uh, One thing that's another pet peeve of mine, uh, going to the monitor for whatever reason. And, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm glad, like, the NFL got rid of – I don't know if you remember when they first came out with the uh, instant replay and, and the official, the head referee, would go into the hood. You know what I'm talking about? Would go into that little contraption. 
it would disappear and come out with the call. You know, uh, we've got the technology to see these things speed it up uh, a, a little bit, but I don't complain about officiating saying, hey, they are trying to screw my team. My thing is, you know, you, you can't yeah. make that call. You, 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 if you're 50 feet away, you cannot do that. Uh, that's my, where my frustration comes in. Yeah, and I, I wasn't saying, even saying that either. Just a, just a little bit over the top, whistle-heavy to the point where I even thought, well, my goodness, what's ridiculous. It takes a lot for me to be picked off. Because, I mean, I'm watching the game. I watch it. It be really, really ugly. Or, you know, if it's four corners back in the day, there are no corners to hold the ball, that kind of stuff. Or I know you remember – the Cleveland Cavaliers, when Mike Tillman was there, and he was all about defense and, and slowing down it for like 70 points a game. That kind of stuff is ugly. It, it, has, to, it has to be really bad for me to even complain about it. Much less sweet about it. That's, that's probably where it last night. Uh, good thing you were playing ball and just kind of checking in on it, you know, and you didn't get through all the just ridiculous stuff. Uh, you mentioned it, I'm winning Gabriel. Second game of the road, TV. He has back to his stat stuff himself. Uh, started the season off, we were talking about him, and his energy is more than rebounding. Now he was, you know, doing a little bit of everything. Went through a phase there where, you know, a, a lull where he kind of wasn't doing much. The, the four spot's been uh, an area of concern all year. Winning was getting beat defensively, and, and Cal was kind of searching for an answer. And then you see 16 rebounds in the last game before last. And then last night he's up there with 13 points. Didn't miss a shot. Uh, a key rebound, too, when Ole Miss was, I mean, Mississippi State was trying to make him run and get back in the game. Uh, it was a free throw missed or just a, a regular shot from the field missed. And he was beating everybody to the ball. So it's good to see him kind of uh, get some back for his butt, getting some production. Uh, back counting the way he started the season. Well, I, I think here, here's my thing uh, about that. We get we are used to having ridiculously advanced freshmen, and one of my biggest complaints uh, for Kentucky fans is we make the uh, abnormal kind of our bare minimum. Because uh, when you hear people talk about you know, players struggling. Well, Anthony Davis, da 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 da. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, da 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 da. Well, okay, uh, those guys are freakishly unique. Okay, let's. So most of the time, you're going to have freshmen that are going to have some up and down, like Malik Monk last night. I mean, it, you're you're, you're going to have that. Uh, and 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 Cal talks about, hey, I think he said it post game now. Uh, he said, these guys aren't robots, okay? So each guy's going to progress. You know, I've, I've seen people talking about Sasha Clea Jones not, you know, not contributing a whole lot. Well, that's what a normal freshman is supposed to do. You know, like I said, we're used to super-duper advanced freshmen. These guys are going it to – and it's going to click. William Gabriel – we we all saw at the beginning of the season, he's an energy guy. And I think we and I talked about it. 
I said he looked, reminded me of a young Rodman when he played on the Pistons. Just a lot of little things really, really well. Uh, and, you, and you need a guy like that. So going forward with the four position, if we've got Derek Willis, who we know can stroke it, we know what he did last year, if he can kind of regain that form, and, and William Gabriel moving forward, that's a pretty good rotation at the four spot. Because if Gabriel's going to be hitting some threes, and if uh, uh, Derek Willis is going to have uh, some threes, that's a because I don't anticipate Monk having a game like that again. I, I think he'll be on that. That just makes us that much more dangerous. Um, and again, uh, like I said earlier, when you're going to need your seventh or eighth guy to save your bacon. Uh, I think a lot of times we get caught up in what superstars do in crunch time, but, uh, and this is a good, uh, I think a good analogy for you. Uh, you know, when your Rockets won their first championship in 94, okay, Akeem was phenomenal. And we, we all saw how, uh, how tough he was. But you remember Carl Herrera? Yeah. Yeah. You 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 need somebody. There's always that person that just comes out of nowhere and 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 can save your bacon. Uh, yeah. Okay. Jordan was dominant for the Bulls, but man, it wasn't just Pippen, but but Steve Kerr and Tony Kukoc, Judd Bushler, those guys. You need to go six or seven guys. Maybe not the most talented group, but guys that know how to play and know how to win. And we're going to need that um, moving forward. One thing I think that's kind of criminal, you know, we think about 2012, of course, Anthony Davis, of course, Michael Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. The one person I think gets overlooked of all Cavs players, Deron Lamb. He was really, really good. Okay, and I know he's, you know, he's not in the league and, and all this kind of – but he was really, really good for two seasons for Kentucky. You need these guys that may not get all the headlines but can play really, really good basketball. And I'm very, very happy for Winyan Gabriel. And, and, and you can see that with Cal's recruiting. Yes, we get the big-name guys. But, but Gabriel kind of flies – he kind of flies under the radar. You know, he kind of – you know, he's, he's kind of – all right – uh, kind of under the radar kind of guy, maybe not a marquee guy, but he's a guy you can definitely win with. So I'm very happy for him uh, that he was able to put these couple of games together, and I think that's a good thing moving forward. Yeah, I think you can build off of that for sure. Um, the 16 rebound game, like you said, energy, but I mean that's that goes some work. And <laughs> He's not the, the biggest guy yet. He's still thin. I mean, him all, but he's thin. 16 rebounds on any level, you, you know, you're doing something. So uh, that was a, a nice little foundation, if you will, maybe for him to kind of build on, like you say, going forward. That's one thing with all these freshmen. Everybody develops different. Everybody has a little mull here and there, peaks and valleys here and there. You know, Cal trying to get everybody playing at their best come March. We've seen it 
you know, with Anthony Davis, as good as he was, he still progressed throughout the year. Stop Charles Towns uh, progressed throughout the year where he wasn't uh, comfortable with that back-to-the-basket game in November, but on January, February, March, he was winning games with, you know, jump hook, baby hook, things like that. Everybody has their peaks and valleys. Mom could have a little dip. Like you said, you don't, you, don't, you don't foresee him, you know, playing like he did uh, last night. Uh, and he, he was, you know, didn't shoot well. Had some turnovers, you know, a uh, couple times just being loose with the ball, careless with the ball. Coach Cal kept talking about, we just went to AAU too much. Uh, there was one where he had a, a pass, bam, wide open, and he took and dribbled hard to the paint and got, you know, guys collapsed on me, lost the ball, turn over, they go down and score. Just little stuff like that. So he kind of dipped a little bit from what we used to seeing him do in his victory UK. And then here comes Rooney Gabriel picking up his class. You know, so it, it might be that way uh, throughout the season. Might be a game where, you know, Funk is told and, and Bam gets it going. Uh, last night he had foul trouble. Uh, you know, like I said, the foul fit. There are times they were they were trying to see the post last night. Uh, there are times where we've seen him camp out in that position and they don't look to give the ball. They were trying to last night, but it looked like they were trying just to beat or a half second too soon. You know, he wasn't completely set up, didn't have the guy completely sealed. He was able to reach around and knock the pass away. They were looking to him, but I think they just give him another half second, and he would have that guy pinned, and then it's a drop step and a dunk or a jump hook. But at least they were looking to give him the ball. The time was a little bit off. But all these are little things that are working themselves out as we go along. Yeah, and these teams, they're a work in progress. I was talking to a guy at work today, and Cal has said, and we should at this point understand what he's trying to do with his team, he's condensing three or four years worth of work into one. And it and it's there's going to be some bumps in the road. Uh, I saw folks last night, you know, uh, on Twitter, you got to take Monk out, you got to do this, that, and the other. Look, he's a freshman, a tough environment. You got to you got to show him tough love and let him fight through something. You know, not to the point where, you know, you cost the team the game, but you've got to let him fight through it. Now, if you've got a junior or a senior making those plays, of course, yeah, you gotta, you got to sit him. Uh, but right. I think, you know, Kyle's kind of got that razor's edge of, you know, it's a delicate balance in that. Because what you don't want to do is put Malik Monk on the bench or whoever and – not every – and the thing is, coaches know their players. Not every player is going to react to uh, a public showing up the same way. You know that. I know that. You know, it's just like with your kids. One kid you can you can yell at, the other one you can't. I mean, it's just that we're all different. And I think Cal knows his guys better than anybody. I mean, you know, we all know – uh, there's that thing where you know he's caught, you know, hot Mike, if you will, you know, cussing at Terrence Jones. Well, he could do that with Terrence Jones. You might not have been able to do that with somebody else. So, um, 
my thing is I'm going to let Cal kind of do his thing. Until I see a team of his that doesn't really reach its potential, I'm going to let him keep doing his thing. Now, that doesn't mean he's above reproach and you can't question some things. I get that. But I'm going to let him kind of figure it out. You know, the the team is learning. They're getting better. Um, One thing also that I hear from a lot of Kentucky fans, you know, this team not being very good, my thing is, okay, this team isn't perfect, and it may not be as good as 2012, may not be as good as 2015, let alone going back to 96 and those teams. But look at the landscape in college basketball. Is there a team that you think they cannot beat? And that is always kind of my thought when when uh, you start looking toward the tournament and, and Final Fours. Is there really a team that you don't think that these these guys can beat? Because, to quote Clark Kellogg, they've got that spurtability. You know, you look at the Auburn game; it was a, it got to be a, I think a four point game, and you look up and it's a twenty point game in like three minutes of game time with Fox on the bench. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, that you just literally you blink. And, and they can score in bunches, and I think that will be able to serve them well. I, I know defensively they're not as, as, as shut down as we thought uh, going into the season, but I think they do enough things really, really well. Uh, I still like our chances. Uh, to quote Cal, I, I like our team.
Yeah, I'm here. Well, man, I had, had one little extra mute football. Welcome back. Sorry about that. Thank everybody for listening. 845 Sorry about the little silence that y'all got after the song went off. Um, hoping to have ATF Sports Nate give us a call at about 7. Talk shopping in the NFC title game. Uh, you sent me a text that said no Falcons talk, but that just came off sounding like a bitter 49ers fan that just realized there's 31 <laughs> other teams in the NFL that actually are still going about their business. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, 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 you know, I readily admit I am a. A bitter 49ers, bitter Lakers, bitter Lakers fan right now, uh, with with the way my respective teams are, are going. So, um, to your delight, uh, we're one and done. To your delight, we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, they lost 34, 31 to the Packers. We'll talk about that. But I do want to get to right quick. You have been covering some Peggy women's games. Uh, you've written the piece in the game you went to a couple of days ago, about how it was teetering on the verge of panic time uh, because of the way they were losing some games, just kind of fading in the fourth quarter. It's not been able to match the intensity of this open team. And since then, they went out and stumped Alabama on the road, and then they stumped Georgia at home. So two good SEC wins for them to, you know, much-needed wins to kind of right the ship, so to speak, if you think you want to pass. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Um, I, I, you know, I said they weren't quite at the panic. You know, it wasn't quite that time. But going on the road in, in, in Alabama and handling uh, Georgia – this is still a stretch where they've got a couple of more road games to navigate. They could still finish in the top part of the SEC. The, the, the season is not lost. And uh, I think they're getting healthier. Uh, so I, I think, like, I need to stay away. I think the 12-2 and two overall uh, without me there, and 0-3 when I'm in the building. So maybe I need to stay away uh, from them. But – I really really like this group's scrappy intense scrappy intensity. Uh, they're not as big as, as some of the other teams that they're playing, so they, they've got the work cut out for them on the boards. Uh, but they've got a gamer. We've talked about her, I think, every week. She's kind of the, the straw that stirs the drink. She's, you know, on the Naismith watch list, the Michaela Epps, daughter of, of, of our guy Anthony Epps of the 96-97 uh, Cats. Um, so they're they're playing really really well. Uh, they got a couple more games to kind of really get the momentum, uh, and then I think they have a home stretch kind of toward the the latter part of February. So it, it's getting close. Like Cal said the other night, you're, you know we're kind of halfway through the season. Uh, believe it or not, I mean it's it's you know we're mid January now, and, and when you start start thinking about you know beginning of March, it, I mean we're we're getting six, seven weeks away. So uh, it, it's not a, a stretch to start thinking about that. 
uh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So good to see them get two wins. They still got some more tough road to hold, so to speak. But uh, I was definitely, like you said, they were, like you said, they weren't fancy. It wasn't tennis. I was they were teetering. If they go down to Alabama and drop one, you don't know what they would have been like coming back, you know, at home against Georgia. So. Off to a good start on this treacherous road they're going, so hopefully that they will continue. Uh, like you said, they can finish in the top half of the league. Uh, that would definitely be a good accomplishment, and that would definitely be galvanizing going into tournament time. After they get through the season, uh, facing the most improved and say that they do finish in the top half of the league, and then they'll get a good seed in the SEC tournament and then go forward. That would definitely be a shot in the arm for Coach Mitchell and the whole staff. Yeah, uh, because outside of UConn, who is playing, I mean, let's touch on that real quick. Uh, with their 91st game in a row, that is ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous. I can't even fathom that kind of win streak. I mean, that is just mind boggling. And a lot of the games haven't been close. So, you know, during the, uh, during the Auburn game, ESPN cut away to show the last part of that UConn win over SMU to, to break their own 90-game win streak record, which is also ridiculous. Uh, a lot of folks were upset. And, and my thing is, I think it was a good thing. You know, they have cut away. I think ESPN and and all the channels have cut away from games for more ridiculous stuff than that. I I think the UConn women deserved it. And for me, um, I'm watching the Auburn game with my girls uh, and big miss played. Let me, let let me, I'm, I'm digressing all over the place. Let me be proud for a moment. Can I be proud dad for a moment? Big Miss played her first game of the season last week, basketball, and she she must have had a triple double. She was rebounding, she was passing, she was she was she was she was very playing very very well. Uh, after the game, she says to me, "I could have shot better." My thing is, hey, if you're rebounding and you're passing, and uh, this is what I love. You know, you know how it is. The parents out there, I know you know, Vinny. When you when you're trying to teach your kids something, and you're like, they're not even listening to what I'm saying. You know, and you're talking about something, talking about something. You're like, they're not even paying attention. And then, boom, they do it, and it's just. So I, I've been teaching her the the impact of the outlet pass. Get the rebound. Get the ball out quick. And she was looking like fellow Seneca alumni, Wes Unsell getting the rebound and getting the ball out because they've got, they got a girl on her team that is just really, really fast. I said, just just wing it down there. She'll go get it. And it was just – it was awesome. And I'm cheering and I'm, I'm talking. I'm encouraging her and her team. And so her coach comes to me after the game. He said, how would you like to help me assistant coach? So I am assistant coach of Big Mrs. Basketball team. Practice tomorrow night, another game on Saturday. It, I am I am super duper excited. So congratulations, congratulations. <laughs> and so I know you're 
Oh yeah, I, I've got my chest poked out because she's picking up, you know, and she's watched basketball with me forever for her whole life, and so she gets it. I've been cool for field hockey, cool for uh, uh, when she plays soccer, cool for t-ball uh, when she's doing her violin. I'm cool. I'm cool, Dad. But everybody that knows me knows basketball. That is my passion. That's why I am closing on forty, and I'm still playing every Tuesday. Basketball, I just I love it, and, and being able to share that with with her because this year it's really kind of clicking different things about basketball, and she knows how to to look and her passing, so uh, it is phenomenal. So against that backdrop, we're watching the Kentucky game, and the, of course the cutaway to UConn, and she says, "Whoa, ninety one games in a row," and I and I'm talking to her about it, and she says to me. Well, if I keep working, maybe I can play there, or maybe I can do that. You know, for me, look, my mom will tell you, growing up, I was one of those guys, I was very derogatory toward women athletics, with female basketball, women's soccer, whatever. But, and I'm late to the party because I got my girls. But for that moment, for the look in her eyes to say, wow, that's pretty cool. That, to me, was worth missing a couple of minutes of the game, of the Kentucky game. That, to me, was worth it. I know people are upset, and I, and I get that. The game was joined late in progress. But for what it kind of said to my uh, daughters, both of them, I think it was a good thing. And I told her, I said, hey, if you can play for UConn, I'll be all about that. Obviously, <laughs> I wanted to play in Lexington, but hey, if, if UConn comes calling, you know, Gino, whoever, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to listen to that. You know? So I said, I hope you do. So for that moment, it was awesome. It was just a basketball day for us. Uh, and it was a good moment, uh, good moment there. So I'm off my dad's soapbox. I'm a proud dad, uh, but I'm very happy about that. Uh, got her some Kentucky basketball shorts because you know I look clean when I'm playing ball. Uh, she we went to the mall. She wanted some Kevin Durant, and I said, eh, "No, we're not going to do that." <laughs> but <laughs> but I, 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 she she she's looking good when she's out there. I said, "You look good. You play good, uh, and everything." So uh, very very exciting times here uh, with the Browns. You know, Jerry, right, said that it is true. Oh, yes, that's a good thing. We're going to do to him for that. Congratulations to Big Wiz. All the big things he has done this past weekend. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, uh, uh, earlier you mentioned the 96 team. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you mentioned the 96 team in the title game.
and it was, you know, premiered throughout the state on the 25th. Uh, you can download it on Vimeo.com now. We haven't got to talk about that on the show. I mentioned a few times, and we've all been tweeting, retweeting it and all that. But the lead and finished product of the 20 year reunion, Aaron Mills, our guy that we like for Vimeo.com, hit me up. Derek Anderson has been on the show with us. Uh, it was cool to see them reminiscing about the season, talking about games that we still talk about week in and week out on the show. It was great to see that documentary. Uh, congratulations to Cameron for the job that he did putting it all together. It, it was it was phenomenal, I and mean, I know a lot of uh, there's some a segment of the uh, BBN that won't, doesn't want to give that '96 team a lot of pub because of Rick Pitino's involvement. But that team, I mean, those guys were special. Uh, the documentary is fantastic. It captures a lot of uh, those kind of behind the scenes um, that you kind of kind of heard about. And, and but it's it's good to have those guys talking about it. Uh, there's a segment on there talking about Anthony Epps and Mark Pope leads off. You, and basically saying you need a guy with no ego to kind of run things. And we remember at the beginning of the season, Patino wanted Tony Delk to kind of be the point guard, and that didn't work out real well against UMass. And then his change, his tweak, if you will, was, hey, let's put Anthony Epps, starting point guard, move Delk to the shooting guard, and then they won 27 in a row. And – uh, my thing is you need a, a point guard who's not so much selfless but will will feed the will feed the team. Whoever's hot, you know you've got to get Antoine Walker his touches, well you gotta to get Tony Delk his touches, you gotta get Derek Anderson cut into the basket. I mean and he was able to juggle that and keep it healthy uh, keep everybody happy Oh, yeah, and by the way, hit some big shots of his own. And you need a point guard like that. My thing is I love, don't get me wrong, I love the flashy point guards, kind of studs that we've had uh, here at Kentucky lately uh, under Cal. He's the point guard guru. I get that. I get that. But for my money, when you look at the mid to late 90s in college basketball, there was a lot of really good, maybe not spectacularly flashy point guards, but a lot of successful point guards, and I'm looking at Anthony Epps and Wayne Turner. I'm looking at Ed Coda at North Carolina. I'm looking at Steve Logan at Cincinnati, guys that just stayed in control of the game and had a lot of on-court success. You know, Ed Coda got his team to a Final Four. I know uh, Logan got his guys to an Elite Eight. I just love a, a – I'm a point guard guy and somebody that can distribute – that stays even keel, that is able to feed the hot hand, that is able to steady the team on both ends of the ball, or both uh, both ends of the court, excuse me. Uh, that That's fantastic. Uh, that's what made, for me, last year's team so special, watching Tyler Eulett. It had been a while since you really have seen a, a point guard with that kind of control over a team, all aspects of it. Um, but going back to the documentary, there's just so many 
great memories of that season. The, that was my freshman year. That was just and, – and to have that coincide with, again, for my money, the best team I have ever seen play college basketball. The documentary is, is fantastic. Uh, everybody, I think everybody on the team uh, is represented and, and puts their two cents in. And, and you forget, you know, we talk a lot about what Coach Cal has, has asked his guys to do as far as giving in to the team and being selfless and sacrificing. But think about that 96 team, okay? That team was coming back off an Elite Eight finish from 95, a disappointing Elite Eight finish, against losing against North Carolina. Delk is a senior. McCarty is a senior. Pope's a senior. Well, then you got Derek. Anderson that transferred in from Ohio State, and oh, oh, here's Ron Mercer coming in. I, I, I think that is as far as coaching goes, that was fantastic. They were number one from day one. I know they weren't ranked of, of, of number one because of, of, of UMass's record, but they were the targets. They were the favorites going in. And, and when you are the favorite and you're still able to uh, be a champion, I think that is fantastic. We have seen so many really good teams, great teams, that, that fall short of that goal. And I think that was an overall theme of there was a little bit of a relief and joy in winning that 96 championship. And relief and joy due to being the target all year. They all talked about it. Your know, talked about it. Uh, players mentioned it being, you know, it's all over talking about it. The pressure uh, where all of them felt that they blew it in 95 uh, and coming back in 96, the pressure to go out and, and finish it. It's much like I hear my dad, you know, Larry Ball. You know, people from that generation talk about the 78 team, where, you know, 75, they probably should have beat UCLA and been one last title for John Wood and company. You know, 76, 77, 78, all through there, where they're right there knocking at the door. 78 kind of had a lot of pressure where relief to where you. Your expectations to do it were there, uh, just like 96. Those are kind of parallel to me as far as, all right, Army is on our back, but that's how it's going to be. We just got to go out and get this done anyway. And they were able to do that. But it was fun here to talk about that. Well, the good games where they, you know, of course, the, you know, the dominated teams got revenge against UMass. Uh, how they were glad to lose to Mississippi State in the tournament. They just knew they had to load up the gun for six more uh, and and they ran right through the tournament. Vimeo.com slash on demand slash the team where you can go and download it and check out the entire documentary. It was very well worth watching. Mostly watched it multiple times and I mean, definitely 
Yeah, and, and uh, like I said, it was well done. Uh, a lot of a lot of really good stories. It was good seeing those guys now, uh, and some of the success that they've had. You know, after basketball, we know uh, the success that uh, Antoine Walker had in the league, and, and Derek Anderson. You know, being you know both those guys being NBA champs, and and Tony Delk having a nice solid NBA career. Uh, also, uh, Walter McCarty, but a lot of the guys have gone into coaching. Mark Pope's gone into coaching. Alan Edwards gone into coaching. Uh, it's just a, a team of success on and off the court. And whatever your feelings are about Patino now, at one point in time he was our guy, and he could do, you know he could do no wrong. And, and for me, uh, one of the highlights. Uh, of the the documentary is, is talking about Antoine Walker and really getting him to buy into this team. I have said forever and ever, getting Antoine after his great freshman year in 95, getting him to buy in, not shooting 20 times a game yeah. with Patino's de facto greatest coaching job ever. Again, yeah. Let's keep in mind, that this is Antoine Walker, the shimmy, the shakes, and all that kind of stuff. And when he was asked why he takes so many threes, it's because there are no fours. That was his answer. That Antoine Walker is is who bought into the team concept. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, and, and that's why I try to tell folks a lot of the things that Cal talks about, you know, everybody can eat if we all do well. You know, that 96 team epitomized that. You know, you, 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 you watch some of those games and uh, looking back through some of those box scores, and there would be nights, and this is the luxury you have with a deep team. Delt can go for 20 at any point. I mean, you had six guys that could get you 20 points on any given night. That's ridiculous. That is, I mean, and again, we've talked about it with Cal's guys, but that 96 team, Derek Anderson, when he was at Ohio State, he could have stayed at Ohio State, shot the ball 30 times a game, and still went to the league. So all these players are making these conscious decisions to come to sacrifice and to do it, and I think we can all say that when you come to play basketball at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, the spotlight is brighter than anywhere else. Because, again, go back to 96, UMass was the number one ranked team for most of that season. They beat Kentucky early, and I think they were undefeated for a long stretch. But Kentucky was still the story. You know, that's that's the thing. UMass, and even with Coach Cal, those guys didn't move the needle. Kentucky moves the needle. They have, they will. That's just the way it is. Yeah. One thing I also like, like about the documentary. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's like it's like Alan McGuire said, about you know, the tradition just to have it before you to have it while you're here to have it after you're gone. And speaking of, we got a call on the line. Uh, I reference the seventy eight team just a few minutes ago about the pressure they had kind of similar to the nineteen sixteen. Uh this gentleman saw that first hand. My 
history in UK sport. I see the cell phone number pop up, so I see my dad on the road traveling somewhere, so I'll let you go on in, Dad. How you doing? <laughs> Not bad, son. How you doing? Well, we're doing good. Just talking about the, the nice 16, 78 teams, and, and all kind of UK stuff right now. So yeah, I, I didn't see you there for a couple it, minutes. Interesting talk there. You, you're talking about um, all those kids that could have scored uh, 20, 25 points a game. And I look back on that 78 team, Jack Givens on that team, had he gone anywhere else, he probably would have scored 30 points a game. But he had to buy into that team concept. And uh, they finally won the championship despite Joe Hall in 70. I guess I shouldn't say that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, people from your your age group, like like to me and Terry, like like Joe B is just a legend. They sit in Rep Arena, he's the Y, and you know the show with him and Jenny Curl. People in your age break a little hard on Joe. Like, y'all, y'all, oh y'all, yeah, y'all, yeah, y'all, yeah, we were. I, I I was listening to a radio show. Uh, no, actually, it was a TV show that Cal um, Mace is hosting now called the. Uh, uh, rafters of uh, of Rupp, and yeah. he's got a show uh, dealing with all of the guys who's got their, their jerseys hanging in the rafters of Rupp. And he did um, Louis Dampier, uh, the last one I saw, and Louis was kind of like these young kids coming into Rupp and to UK now. He was a hot shot scorer from, uh, I think, up in Indiana, and he came in and uh, he 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 would shoot the ball uh, more than his teammates wanted him to shoot it, and finally one of his team, teammates that was his roommate at one time, his name was John Adams. He told John told him he says, uh, "You can pass the ball, you don't have to shoot it every time you touch it." <laughs> and, and he 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 said he had to learn, you know, that he said when he was in high school he was a hot shot, and his coach wanted him to shoot all the time because he was uh, the star of the team. But after he got to college, everybody was a star. So he had to learn to hold that. But there's another story that he went on to tell when Joe Hall was uh, an assistant for Adolph Rupp. said Joe Hall was a conditioning coach. And he said by this time uh, he had spent enough time with uh, Pat Riley that he had become pretty much of of an a-hole. So he said whatever he wanted to say. He said one day uh, Joe had him out running, and he said – um, uh, Dampier, he said, you're just um, um, a powder puff. He said, you're, you're not running. He said, you, you're just a, a powder puff. He said, if I was coach, he said, you wouldn't play for me. He said he looked at Joe and said, well, if you was coach, I wouldn't play for you. <laughs> 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 so, I, I got a kick out of that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there, there's some... I gotta, I gotta get caught up on the Raptors Rump series that's been out for a while. I gotta watch those. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna have, they're gonna be some dandies. Surely are. I'm gonna try to catch some of those. But I'll get off here now and let you guys get back to your talking. I'm, like I say, I'm on the road, so I gotta get back on the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it, Mr. Hardy. Well, yeah. pre- I appreciate listening, listening to you guys, and and I'll, I'll cut back in another time and get my old buddy Tom. To, to get on there with me. And you can, uh, you can keep the phone on and keep listening while you drive if you want to. I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll just, you know, put your on hold or mute it and keep you on. But, yeah, 
and we appreciate you calling in and, and uh, be careful when you get back driving though for sure. I will. I will. Y'all have a fun night. We certainly appreciate right. it. <laughs> father, real hearty. Lakers fan like you, but we won't talk about that. That's the amount of time of the show. So we'll, we'll let all that be. All that purple ghost stuff, y'all like to Yeah, I don't think we're going to hear from Nate either. So, yeah, we were, you were telling another point about the documentary, the, the team documentary, right? You going to say something else about it? Uh, one thing I think we realize is we we've got him now and we love Cal now, but you have to you have to look at the job he did with that UMass team. Okay. You know, beating Kentucky that ninety six team and playing the final four game was, was pretty close. It wasn't a blowout in, in Kentucky's way. He had a really good team. Uh Travieso Badillo in the backcourt and Dana Dingle, uh and Marcus Canby who I know we kind of look at his NBA career, and I think he's had a pretty stellar, solid NBA career, but he was a beast at UMass. And as good as our front line was, he was showing he was better. I mean, he was absolutely phenomenal in both of those games. And uh, I think that season – you can win those two matchups. You, you got Cal, you got Patino. I, I think that kind of stoked the fires. And now here we are with them being 70 miles apart. You know, you can, you know, you look back, you know, 20 years later and say, okay, I can kind of see how these things, uh, uh, you know, how these things go. But it's a phenomenal do- documentary. I recommend everybody to see it. I've seen it. I bought it. I, I watched it when it came on Christmas. Uh, it's just just absolutely phenomenal. All the, the the different players, and it's crazy, you know. Listen to your dad talk, and here we are. And and I don't think we are old old, but you know, here we are remembering a team from twenty years ago. It, it's like you know when when we were on campus, people talking about the seventy eight team, you know, being yeah. you know twenty years uh, ago. It, it's different, and that's one of those things when you go back into Rupp Arena and you can look up. In each one of those banners, each one of the Final Four banners, championship banners, each one of those banners with the names on them, they tell a story. You're 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 a part of something special. And and again, like you said, the Al McGuire uh, quote: "Kentucky was good before you; they're good now; they'll be better after you." And this is the point I've tried to make to to fans, and you and I think I've talked about this before. Well, who cares about those championships from the 40s, 50s, 60s, whatnot? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Whatever the rules are for college basketball, Kentucky has excelled. Uh, before integration, after integration, before the three-point shot, with the three-point shot, with the one and done, Kentucky has been successful with that. And not every program has been that way. I challenge you. Look at from 1939 when Oregon won the first NCAA championship. Look at those teams that won then, okay, in the 30s and 40s. Look at the teams that won in the 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and the 2000s. Look at those teams. And there's only one name that comes up 
no matter what era you look at. Only one. Only one. I know UCLA, I tip my hat to them, they've got their 11. But outside, you know, before Wooden and after Wooden, I mean, yeah, they had some success with Howland with three straight Final Fours, but just the one lone title that was a Tyus Edney, you know, full-court shot against, uh, I believe it was Missouri, from not even happening. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was Jim Herrick. That was Jim Herrick for that. Yes, that was that was that was Jim Herrick's run. So yeah, I, I understand. Though the game is different. Well, the game is not the way it was even with the '96 team. The game changes, but that doesn't mean you just got to say, okay, those those titles don't count. And 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 I'm actually working. Uh, on an article for Cameron Mills Radio uh, talking about elite programs because uh, there was a tweet, and I can't remember who sent it. It was a Louisville-based tweet talking about how Louisville is undefeated. They've beaten, you know, us and, and Duke. They've beaten other the other blue blood. And now there's this debate, okay, what is a college basketball blue blood? So here's my spoiler alert. Let me rank my blue bloods if I can get on my soapbox for just a moment. Okay, I put Kentucky number one. I'm a homer, but when you look at it, all-time win, second in championship, you know, everything I've kind of covered. I put UCLA number two. I put North Carolina number three. North Carolina up there because they've had multiple coaches win championships. Uh, They've had, is it four, three? Three coaches win championships, right? Is that right? But they're up there. I'm researching it. I put. They won it. They beat like 57 or whoever that was, right? Yeah, they they beat they beat Kansas when Kansas had uh, had Will. I put Kansas yeah. up there. Uh, I put Duke up there. Okay, and I, I even I still put Indiana up there, even though the last quarter century hasn't been great for the Hoosiers. I think those are your five, okay, uh, of your blue blood. I think Louisville is right there. I put them six or seven. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they're not quite with that upper level. Still top ten. Louisville's biggest problem is being 70 miles away from Kentucky. Because when you look at their success they've had just in the last six or seven years, okay, one championship, one Final Four, well, Kentucky's got a title, and three more, and, and, and two more Final Fours than you got. So when even when they're doing good, Kentucky is, is, is kind of better. It's like right now, you, yeah, you exactly, exactly what I was going to say. You forget Auburn won a championship with Cam and played for another one. You forget that because Alabama has been ridiculous. You forget it. You really do. And, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to knock what, what Louisville is as a program because I think they had a stretch from 80 to 86 that was really, really good. Two titles, a couple of Final Fours, and some really memorable games, you know, against Five Flame Jamma and, and, and whatnot. I think they, they – but it's not quite up there. But I definitely – you know, you got to put them top ten. The weirdest program to kind of judge is UConn. Uh They've got titles, but other than that, they're kind of garbage. I mean, it's really I – mean, 
it, they, they, they don't really have those kind of almost seasons, those really, really good seasons that a lot of teams have. Uh, okay, you know, we've got our eight titles uh, here at Kentucky, but you can point to maybe seven or eight other really, really good teams that probably should have, could have won. You know, 2015, for example, you know, 2010, for example. You know, the, we've had some really, really good teams, but UConn's got the titles, but they're, but they're really kind of garbage. Yeah, 97. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, UConn before. <clears throat> I mean, what was UConn before uh, Calhoun, kind of like Syracuse before Bayheim, Duke? I mean, Duke won, you know, went to the championship game in 78 off Kentucky, but Duke before Coach K. A lot of these programs that you're talking about, one coach kind of built them. What are they going to do when that coach leaves? Uh, what's their team going to do when Bayhom leaves? Well, I'll won the title after Calhoun. Uh, what's going to happen when Coach K leaves? That kind of stuff. Kentucky's building, like you said, Multiple coaches, multiple decades, multiple changes in the way the game is played. <clears throat> UConn is kind of like like the Eli Bank. <laughs> yeah, and, and right now they're at that garbage phase uh, this year. But it, and really, that's the way Connecticut. Uh, that's the way it kind of is. They they really haven't had those heartbreaking Final Four teams or the championship game losses. Uh, I mean, you, you look at you look at Kentucky. Yeah, the eight championship, but 2014, you know, runner up. Uh, you know, and I hate to bring up 2015, uh, but you know, 70, 75 losing to UCLA. Is that right? Yeah. 97 yeah. going into overtime. Uh, Texas you got Western some runners game. up as well. Texas yeah, the Texas, Texas Western game. Uh, just the the three for thirty something debacle in the '84 Final Four. So and of course, obviously, when you're yeah. yeah, when you're talking about heartbreak, of course you got the the Christian Leitner game, and and my thing mm-hmm. is, when you are a marquee program, even your losses are somewhat epic. Uh, yeah. I, I I hate it, but but that that the Duke game, the Leitner shot, that is a great game. You know, the '66 Texas Western game. That is a historic game. That that is a a, a game uh, that yeah we came out on the wrong end, uh, but it gets up it gets talked about more than some uh, games that we have won. So uh, that's what I kind of say is is we're a move the needle program, um, and and that's what makes uh, I, I think Kentucky special. And I'm going to work this out. I'm going to try to have a top ten. Uh, list as, as far as you know overall programs. I know you, uh, ESPN has done something similar uh, to that, but they rigged it up where North Carolina was the best. I don't uh, buy that, but um, you know I'm, I'm a homer, so of course I got the catch one, and I'll, <laughs> I'm going to work from that uh, from that perspective. I'm going to mention our, our poll question before we get off the air. I almost forgot we tweeted out a couple before. Start the show. Uh, one, who do you have in the Super Bowl? Bills versus Packers, Falcons versus Patriots, Patriots versus Packers, Falcons versus Steelers. Uh, got 34 votes on that. 
and right now it's thirty eight percent based on the Steelers Packers, thirty two percent Patriots Packers, eighteen percent Falcons Patriots, and twelve percent Falcons Steelers. And so that there's still, you know, all the way in there and vote have thirty four votes on there. Hit us up on Twitter and vote for that. Second question. It means to make us an abrupt segue, but Saturday, South Carolina comes to town to Rupp Arena. Which Kentucky player do you think would have the biggest impact against South Carolina? Bam Adebayo, Malik Monk, and then Gabriel, De'Aaron Fox. You got Bam, who was in foul trouble against Mississippi State. Malik Monk, a little bit cold compared to what we think we'll do against Mississippi State. Winning Gabriel. He's riding high the past couple games, the Auburn game, took some rebounds, followed up with a good game against the State last night, and De'Aaron Fox. Just the four freshmen that usually start. Of course, you got Briscoe to mix too. You only have four, so feel free to uh, tweet us who you think will be, or vote for the poll, and uh, we'll have fun tossing those around as well. I just want to throw that out there before, before I forget, because yeah, we've got about half an hour left already. Yeah, I think, you know, segued into the NFL game. I, contrary to what you may believe, I was not happy when your Cowboys lost. I did not retweet any of the, the gloating, the crying Jordan memes. I did not. Uh, you guys, your Cowboys, unfortunately caught Aaron Rodgers playing uh, – you know, and we talked about this last week, kind of talking about where Eli Manning fits into, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame discussion. I think he gets in, but has he ever really been must-see TV? And for the last eight weeks, Aaron Rodgers has been must-see TV. I mean, he is making plays that is just ridiculous. And that throw and catch to set up the field goal was something. But – you know, the Packers came out, they punched the Cowboys in the face, and you're thinking, this is going to get ugly. I did. And I'm, I'm just a, a, a simple observer here. Uh, but your, your Cowboys, they answered back. Dak is the guy. I, I think we probably have seen our last of Tony Romo in a Cowboys jersey. Uh, and you hate that, but Dak, I mean, he's, 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 the, he's the man. And with Elliott, you guys are going to be back. I know the NFL is is different from other sports where that window closes awful quick. I say that as a 49ers fan after three straight years of championship game or better. It it can shut quick, but I see that uh, you guys are built to be back. Um, But Aaron Rodgers is playing really, really well. And I know the game's at Atlanta, the last – uh, game at the Georgia Dome. I, I don't want to bet against Aaron Rodgers right now. He, he's playing ridiculous. They, they've got number 88 lining up as a running back. I don't know outside of Cobb who he's throwing to, but he's just playing ridiculously well right now. It's going to be tough to bet against uh, Aaron Rodgers. So, uh I, I find it hard to believe you were sad for us, but okay. No, 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 no. I didn't say sad. I did not say I was sad for you guys. All I'm saying was I'm not going to gloat about it 
because, you know, my Niners are down, and that's an undeniable fact. But still, we have been to a Super Bowl recently. And I know Cowboys fans haven't had the joy of actually seeing their team in a Super Bowl. Uh, so I understand what that's like. So I, I, I get that. I, I get that. Uh, <laughs> so I was not sad. I was not sad, but I was not going to gloat about the Cowboys uh, losing. Yeah, it was. Rodgers was on on fire. It was, you know, when we've seen it before. The wild card team comes in, grinding, hot, rolling, and the team with the bye takes them a little too long to get on track. The, the downside of having the rest. And it was twenty one to three before you knew it. And it was to the point where he look, it's, it's desperation time. We we need to get a stop, we need to force a punch. They were able to do so. Because uh, if it's twenty eight to three, it's <laughs> it's cost over than it was at twenty one to three. If they went down and scored again, you know, it, it was like you said, he was just on fire, he hit the ground running. Didn't give any kind of resistance to falling down. And the the first touchdown to the tight end, the Richard Rogers. So they, they spread the field. They got Sean Lee in coverage. Came with a little hesitation. And Sean Lee is beat. He doesn't turn around, but you know he's kind of reading Rogers getting ready to catch. He sticks both hands out. And the ball goes right in between his shoulder and his ear hole into Rogers' hand. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I think to see him drop it right through that kind of a window, <laughs> and they'll let you know, well, maybe, maybe it's not going to be in your afternoon if he's already doing that. <laughs> and and that's, that's exactly one of those plays you're like, okay, I mean, that's, we, we're, we're not, that, that, this may not be our day. And, you know, and, and everybody, everybody that has a sports team, and I don't care what sport it is, uh, your favorite tennis player, golfer, soccer, whatever, you're rooting for somebody and you see the opponent do something and you're like, okay, this, this, this pretty much isn't going to that, – it's that play that puts that seed of doubt that you may not win. Uh, there was a play that Quentin Steider made in the Louisville-Kentucky game this year. He drove and was kind of off balance, throws it up, and it goes in. And that's when it hit me, this may not be our night. And as a, as, as a Cowboys fan, you got to say, okay, if he's fitting it through those kinds of windows, this may not be it. This may be it for us. If, if, that, if he's going to do that. You know, this, this this is going to be a little tough for us to do. But, you guys, you fought back. You, you get it. There's that back and forth, that flurry of scoring at the very end. And and it was an incredible throw by Rodgers, an incredible catch, uh, and, and, you know, and setting up the field goal. And, and for my money, blow me out by 50. But the, the last second one, the last second kick, Kick in the gut is just man, and, and I don't know what it is so much. The last second kind of plays in in football in the NFL playoffs. It is just, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound uh, for, for what happened on uh, this weekend for your Cowboys fans. I'm talking about for my own with with the, with the Niners. 
you know, that three-game stretch, losing in overtime to Manning and the Giants in the NFC Championship game, gut punch. That's when, uh, and I can't even think, Williams fumbled those two punts. That's a kick in the gut. Getting to the Super Bowl, Kaepernick's throwing into the end zone to Crabtree, and just you're looking for a flag, just a gut punch. Uh, the, the the next year NFC Championship game again Kaepernick throwing to Crabtree. Uh, I can't remember who tipped it, but Sherman intercepts it, and I'm like, anybody but that guy. Uh, just a gut punch toward the end. Uh, you know, you, you think back to the Rams and the Titans Super Bowl coming up. You know, the yard short. It's like you know, get beat me by fifty, because then you can say, oh, okay, you go about your business. But those close games just eat at you. They they do. Yeah. To me, like you mentioned that last throw to Cook, he was in bounds, and and Rogers rolling out to his left and and throwing a sidearm laser. I mean, you couldn't have handed the ball to Cook any better. And like I said, that's the you know, it's a tip you had because I mean it's just an incredible throw. And, and the one thing is. When you look at Hall of Fame quarterbacks and, and you kind of look at, okay, what was their bread and butter, I, I, we've had mobile quarterbacks, but I don't think we've had a, a quarterback that is that good, that is that accurate, moving from side to side outside of the park pocket, rather than Aaron Rodgers. I, I think he is, that's going to be the one thing that when we see him go in and you're telling your boys, I'm telling my girls, Okay, on the run, that guy was deadly. You know, you think about, for me, uh, Joe Montana. Nothing phasing. You know, that's my whole thing. He's Joe Cool. Troy Aikman. I don't know if there was a more efficient quarterback, and I don't mean that as a game manager. You know, he could throw the deep ball. He could throw the – you know, that's my kind of thought process with Troy Aikman. Dan Marino, man, he wasn't – he was a tree back there. But he could get rid of that ball quicker than anything, you know. Those, are, you know, what I, you know, and, and I think when Rodgers hangs it up, you're going to be thinking about him outside of the pocket, rolling either way and just throwing darts down the field. And Marino moved just enough in the pocket to be frustratingly invasive. Even after he blew the killing down, he would hobble around back there when you think he should just get crushed. And then he would, he would make one little sidestep and then that quick release and the ball is out. And, and if I'm a defensive man, I'm like, how did I not sack him? Like Greg Maddox, how did I not crush this 88 mile hour fastball? Why not just ground out back to the pitcher? You know, <laughs> just drive me crazy. Right. And, and you know, and, 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 and talking about Peyton Manning, for me, it's like, uh, I, I told somebody this with Peyton Manning, it's like you're, you're playing Madden. And he's looking at your controller. Like, he just knew what the defense was going to do. That's my kind of thought process with Peyton Manning. Uh, I don't think he had the best arm or was even the most accurate, but he knew that he knew what the defense was doing, and that gave him that he, a, a huge advantage. So I think every kind of uh, – when you start talking about who's better, I, I think you get your list of, of 20 great quarterbacks, and you kind of say, okay, this guy did this and, and whatnot. Kind of like when you look at you know NBA players. I know you know Jordan, the goat, and all that kind of stuff. But 
all these all-stars did uh, all these all-time greats did something very very unique and that's what sets them uh, apart um so it it makes for good uh you know sports show talk uh but Aaron Rodgers is playing unbelievably well on the other side the AFC you've got what has become just the usual i, I think that this will be the 13th year out of 14 that you either got Roethlisberger, Brady, or Peyton Manning representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. The one lone shot out is is Joe Flacco, is he elite against my Niners? But every other year it's been those guys. That, that's a pretty good run. That's, that's a pretty good run uh, when, you, when you look at it like that. Uh, it's going to be uh, I know I say it's going, to, it's going to be interesting. I think Pittsburgh can win in New England. Uh, it's going to be tough, but I think they can. The weather's not going to be an issue. Pittsburgh's used to that. I, I think for me, it's going to be who can run the ball. Are we going to see LeGarrette Blunt get 100 yards? Are we going to see Le'Veon Bell get 100 yards? That, to me, is going to be the difference. I know Brady is approaching, you know, GOAT status. I, I'm not putting him up there with Montana, but I understand you're getting there. But Big Ben, like I said, he's been pretty good. You know, he's been to a couple of Super Bowls, three Super Bowls, uh, 1-1, 1-2, excuse me. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's a daunting task for him to go in and, and, and play in uh, New England. Uh, matter of fact, I, I think the Steelers pull it out. I think we're going to look at Steelers Packers uh, in the Super Bowl. That's kind of what I'm looking at right now. But don't bet. Don't no, bet no, on no. on this. I, I'm not guaranteeing anything. Uh, I'm not a handicapper. But just looking, I, I think that's what we. I think that's what we get. I've been wrong all playoffs, so don't don't take any you know, credence or. Take anything up and you know we kind of stop or whatever. Don't don't put stock on what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say because I've been wrong the whole playoffs and <laughs> I'm going the exact opposite of you. I'm going Falcons and Patriots. Uh, you know the Falcons man had Dallas won and beat Green Bay. That home game for the NFC title game against the Falcons wouldn't have been a walk in the park either. And and they just been quietly. Somehow, under the radar, lighting up scoreboards all season long with their offense. Um, you know, Matt Ryan is, is kind of trying to break into that upper level. He's that second tier guy. Been there for a while. Been doing his thing for a while. But you know, he's trying to get to where Rodgers and Roethlisberger, uh, not Brady yet, but get to the bottom of where Brady started out. He's trying to get up in there, trying to climb in there. Um, to, to make that next step to be elite. I was looking at it with the four of these guys, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Roethlisberger. They were flashing back to the old days and the, the quarterback talent hasn't been this good for a championship Sunday AFC NFC title game since I think ninety three when it was your guy Montana with the Chiefs playing Jim Kelly and the Bills for the AFC title game. And Buffalo won that. And then the Cowboys with Troy Aikman uh, were playing the 49ers. 
You know, yeah. being Cowboys and Bills. Uh, so they're, they're, they're comparing this group of four quarterbacks to that group of four because it hadn't really that, been that loaded in, in over 20 years at that position. Well, and, and you have to you have to enjoy this if you're a quarterback guy because we had ended up with a lot of successful teams, you know, with defensive identities, and you had game managers. And I hate to and I hate to say that in the negative way because if you're going to be quarterback in the NFL, because you've got to be skilled and there's got to be plays you have to make. But nobody was really okay. Trent Dilfer, uh, Brad Johnson. Uh, even you know Rich Gannon, uh, Joe Flacco. I'll say it. Colin Kaepernick really didn't move the needle. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, you know, I'll say that. Uh, you know, heck, Alex Smith got us to the championship game against the Giants. So uh, we are kind of seeing a renaissance of quarterbacks with some solid defenses. Uh, but I think this is going to be an opportunity for the Falcons and Matt Ryan to really kick the door down. And say, you know, here we are. This is, you know, getting to the Super Bowl uh, obviously is a is a big deal. But I think for the Falcons to take that leap as an organization and move forward, um, they need to do that because the Falcons, I think they've had some cool teams, you know, with Andre Rise and Deion Sanders, and they had some really good teams and the, and the Dirty Birds, you know, reaching the uh, Super Bowl against the uh, Broncos. Uh, but they, they really, they've been the, kind of one of those teams you don't really think too much about. Uh, yeah. So this is the time for the Falcons to really kind of push forward and, and, and make that claim, hey, we've got an elite guy. We, we've got, you know, a defense that can play. They've got Julio Jones. We've got some ballers down in Atlanta. And I, I wish they would. I'm just looking kind of X and X's and O's. And I, I, Falcons are full, even look. Matt Ryan is fantastic, but do you want to get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers? You're playing otherworldly. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch both games, but like I said, I think Packers and Steel, Steelers get it. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the Falcons beat Green Bay 33-32 earlier in the year. I don't. I don't know if you want to have another shootout with Aaron Rodgers too. The Falcons literally had to win that one in the last second, uh, and they were at home for that. And, and uh, I don't think Rodgers was as hot then as he is now, and it was still all that they could do to get by. So who knows? It's going to be fun to watch from both. Um, we teased talking about another Kentucky title several minutes ago, and we were talking about, of course, the 22nd championship for the U.K., Cheerleading team. I mean, even the Kentucky basketball Twitter account tweeted out some props and things. You know, they definitely know a thing or two about bringing home a trophy, and that is definitely the case. So, congratulations on winning the 26th championship in school history. Yeah, and the, the hip hop dance team came in second, uh, and I think the dance team was fourth place overall. So, both of those programs are doing what? Look. Uh, for for folks that don't remember, a few years ago, and I'm thinking maybe four or five years ago, the Kentucky Cheerleaders had a reality show on TV. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it was like a, one of those 
eight to ten episode kind of reality thing. This is how good Kentucky cheerleading is. If you try out, and you have to try it every year, you're not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed to be on the varsity squad from one year to the next. But there is a certain level that if you make it to that level in Kentucky tryouts, you can go almost anywhere else and get a scholarship in cheerleading. I never will forget this. There was a there was a girl. There was you know they're all teeny tiny little you know flexible little powerful jumping around whatever. She got to that level, didn't make the cut, and and Joe Mo Thompson, the coach of the, uh, the the team for the last few years, or probably longer than that now, says, "Okay, where would you like to go?" And basically, it said, "You got this far, you can go wherever else you want to go and cheer." Cal doesn't even do that. That is how good that that is how good this team is. I've talked to folks in and outside of the program. A lot of times with these cheering and dancing, they'll watch tape of other programs. Kentucky doesn't do that. They watch their own performances and critique off that. Like they don't even watch what everybody else is doing. They don't know. They're doing their own that it, it, whatever you think about cheerleading, is it a sport, is it not a sport? That is ridiculous. Like, they literally are not worried about anybody else. Their whole thing is, if we – this and coaches say this all the time, but it really is true for the cheerleading team at Kentucky. If we do what we're supposed to do, we win a championship. That is bizarre. That is, that is just what? And yes, they've got the 22 national championship. I think they've got three or four. Uh, runner-up uh, finishes, and I don't think they've been out of the top five, and I don't know if they ever finished out of the top five. That is ridiculously consistent, and I think they need a bigger banner at Rupp. Celebrate that. I mean, celebrate what they're doing. Yeah. They got the one banner that they're running out of room on Let's <laughs> for all the championships. You right. spread it out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> they got it all crammed into that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, spread it out a little bit and celebrate. But yeah, you know, that's one of those things. More than just basketball, uh, the Kentucky athletic program is kind of, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it's all over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, got to talk music for a second. This is. Kind of old news that's becoming relevant news. You know, back the Arkansas game, I know you saw stuff on Twitter with just the Moore guy, the country singer, right? Trying to take shots of Malik Moore, uh, Malik Monk, and Kentucky during the game, and then delete the tweet. You remember that, right? Yeah, I, I kind of saw that uh, a little bit. Uh, Look, man, and I've talked to uh, Mark Ennis, who's a big uh, uh, UFL guy. Uh, he, he does some radio work big on Twitter. And this is – we were talking. He said, here's the thing about Kentucky fans, the Big Blue Nation. There's a lot of you guys. You're crazy. And you're like – and you're all on Twitter. <laughs> For and, and, and we see that when you've got when, – when Jeff Goodman, you know, Seth Davis, they, these guys know when they want to troll, and they, they know they can throw out something and say, 
you know, Coach Cal is the seventh best coach that Kentucky's ever had. They're <laughs> going to get a response. It's going to happen. Well, <laughs> Justin Moore, number one, the whole stand on, you know, you and I are not recruiting guys, but look, I don't care where in the 50 states you are. When Cal comes calling, you have to at least take the call, okay? If he comes to your game, you have to at least entertain when Cal comes and talks to you. Cal in Kentucky really wants you. I don't care who you are. Like I said, you have to consider it, and you can't really be mad if you're going to go. Like, look, Damien Harris was all everything high school in Kentucky. Look, Alabama comes calling. I can't be mad about that. You have to go. You have to go. I understand that if he comes to Kentucky, he can be a part of something. I get that, but Alabama's Alabama. And when they come calling, you got to go. What just kills me are these, these, these folks from other places, and, and that was Justin Moore's whole take, Malik Monk. He's not really, you know, when you're going, you know, it's, it, it means more if you would play at Arkansas or this, that, and the other. But here's the thing, Mr. Justin Moore and other people. Justin Moore is a country singer. He's from Arkansas. Do you know what he did when he went into country singing? He went to Nashville. Sometimes if you want, if you want to better yourself and whatever your field is, you got to go. You got to move. Look, you can be the best engineering person here in the state of Kentucky. But if you want to work for NASA, you got to go to Cape Canaveral, okay? If you want to work, if you want to be big time computer, you got you got to go to Silicon Valley. That's just the way it is. That is the way it is. And if you are a college basketball player and you're you're very very good, you got to go to the Kentuckys, to the Dukes. I mean, look, Malik Monk, like we talked about earlier, could have gone to Arkansas probably would be scoring I don't even know if he would be scoring more points than he's scoring now uh, simply because there, there would be nobody to really take the heat off of him so I don't even know if he'd, he'd probably get more shots but I don't know if he would get more points I get that but coming to Kentucky you have to take the call you have to let the young man do that that being said you can say I'm disappointed Malik Monk a, a teenager chose a school other than the school I want him to go to you can say it. It's dumb, but you can say it. What you can't do is take cheap shots at the University of Kentucky or the Commonwealth of Kentucky because, as we have said, all these Kentucky fans are on Twitter, and they are ready to jump on you. And this is when I realized before I even went to bed that night when he was still engaging back and forth with Kentucky fans, he's got two shows coming up. In Kentucky. Look, That's man, I, brought him up. I don't want to tell you your business. I don't want to tell you how to run your life. It's a, it's a free country. You can say what you want to say. But if you're going to come to the state of Kentucky, if you're going to come to Corbin, if I were you, I would not come out and be anti-Kentucky anything. So what I'm thinking is he either A, sobered up, B, his PR manager guy says, hey, man, you've got to fix this. We've got shows in Kentucky. And he apologized and deleted a lot of those tweets. Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, I, it, it was kind of predictable. It was it was funny. Uh, I did like some Kentucky fans got on his Wikipedia page and, and updated a little bit things. Some of his songs he was known for. Uh, they changed them to you know being sad about Malik Monk and this that. You know, but Kentucky fans, man, look, we've talked about this before. I know we have. Other fan bases can say nation and, and, and this, that, and the other. When we say big blue nation, by God, we mean it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> again, any Kentucky fan, I don't care where on earth you go, on, on the earth. I've talked to Kentucky fans that have gone everywhere. Safaris in Africa, down in Australia, in Asia. I have yet to wear my Kentucky shirt anywhere traveling the U.S. and not run into another Kentucky fan. Yeah. I, I haven't. I, you know, I'd travel around, would do it as a joke. We, you know, I've been to St. Louis, Chicago, wherever. Wear a Kentucky shirt. And, and, and my girls say, Daddy, do you know that person? No, but we're Kentucky fans. It is, it is <laughs> ridiculous. And uh, so that whole exchange uh, was just funny. Another weird thing, and I, I, I'm, I got a lot of weird little mini soapboxes today, but last night Mississippi State cheering overrated as they were losing the game. And this has become a trend because Vanderbilt did the same thing last week. Right. Number right. one, the overrated chant is dumb because you're devaluing your own win. I hate it. You're properly rated. We still beat you. But you can't do it if you're losing because that's just dumb. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt, I thought you kids were smarter than that. Mississippi State, you're Mississippi. I get it, but that's just (laughs) dumb. You're overrated and you're beating us. I don't don't get that at all. So I've, I've rambled long enough. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Justin Moore is coming to Corbin tomorrow, so it'll be interesting to see the reaction that he gets. So that's why I brought him up. Uh, and, you know, you've been coming to Lexington covering games. Uh, haven't been up to Harlan County to mess where I'm from, but Corbin, with, Corbin is not far. I don't know if have you ever been to Corbin or any. Have you been to Corbin? London, any of those places? I have been to London. I think I've been through okay. Corbin. Uh, okay. What I w- what I would like to do, uh, I feel like I need to do this, being a, a Louisville guy. I would love to see more of the state of Kentucky. Uh, one thing I've kind of talked about with my girls is is seeing all the great things in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, at the state fair that's here every year, a lot of the counties – and not all of them because 120 is a lot, but about 40 or 50 counties have booths set up, come to this county and see this. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of great, really great things going on in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that I think we need a, a better job of, of, of seeing. I, my dad, uh, you know, for the folks who don't know, he was a police officer here in Louisville, but he was very civic-minded. And his thing is you have to know what your home is about. You have to understand these things. And, you know, you got to know, Louisville, we got to know about the Derby. You got to know about the Bats. You got to know about the Hot Browns. 
you know, in Kentucky, you, you maybe you're not a handicapper, but you should know horse racing. And maybe you don't drink all the time, but you should know a little bit about bourbon. You should know what makes your home state, your hometown. You got to know what makes it special. And I've tried to put that into my girls uh, a, a little bit as well. So I want to do that traveling around, you know, interacting with you. Honestly, Louisville is like a bubble, and you don't really know what goes on, you know, in the eastern part or western part or southern part of the state of Kentucky. And I, and I feel bad uh, about that. So I'm trying to do a, a better job of, of reaching out and be a better Kentucky. And for those listening, anything that goes past 8 o'clock will be up on the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash cats talk. Um, getting to the end of the live portion of the show, you can catch it all on the podcast. I'm like that when it comes to the western part of the state because I haven't been any farther west than Bowling Green. I know, you know, Western Kentucky is there, but technically that's really more central Kentucky. I haven't been out to Murray and Paducah and all of those places, you know, and as mountainous as it is where I'm from, it's flat out there. And that was, you know, that part of the state in the western part, you know, going out towards Missouri and the Mississippi River and Paducah right up above Memphis and that part of the state never been out there, so I want to get out there and see the western part of the state. And the same thing kind of for the northeastern part. You've been to Ashland and uh, Maysville and all those places up in there, so I'd like to see that uh, as well. But uh, you said, I was asking that you've been through Corbin to, you know, just to get a feel. So you have been in part of the mountains. That counts. Corbin is southeast Kentucky. London is southeast Kentucky. That counts. That you kind of got in the the little edge of southeast Kentucky in the mountains. So I, you're about I, an I have, hour and a half from where I grew up being in Corbin. Corbin's about halfway from where I grew up to Lexington. So you, you've been about an hour and a half from where I grew up, and Justin Moore is going to Corbin tomorrow. And the another thing that surprised me, I know I'm about to start rambling, they built the, the arena in Corbin Race Performance 2009. They have a lot of events there, monster truck stuff, uh, high school district marine tournaments and stuff. It's a very, very nice venue, which is probably why he wants to play it. But in April, <laughs> my sister just texted me, and, you know, I've been going to Corbin and going through Corbin for my whole life. My sister texted me, and the text simply said, Corbin ain't ready. Because it was a link that Flow Rider is coming to Corbin in April. And I could not believe that. Now, I mean, if he goes up to Houston, Kentucky, he's coming to Houston, Kentucky, I'm not taking Corbin as the spot. I can see him coming to Pikeville. You know, the college is there, you Pike. That kind of crowd might be a little more up on him, but, but Corbin. The arena is new and nice, but that one shot me that Flo Rida is coming to Corbin. So I just have to throw that out there. Weird. Yeah. Uh, and for the record, I've been to INS. I've been to INS, been Kentucky, what? which is oh, INS, oh, wow. Kentucky. Oh, yeah. yeah, you have been there. Yeah. yeah my, wh- one of my roommates in school, uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not going to tell any uh, college stories. But yeah, we 
we uh, uh, yeah, I was I was able to go to uh, Inez, Kentucky, uh, and and honestly, I, I think it's good to get out and, and see things. Uh, because you know so, some people may be worried about going this place that place. Look, man, I'm gonna put on my Kentucky shirt. I'm gonna drive from Pikeville to Paducah, Louisville to London, and I'm good to go. I mean, that's 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 the thing. Uh, but, but the state of Kentucky, it is beautiful. Uh, some of the be- most beautiful scenery I've ever seen. The the nicest people. Um, you know, here I, here we are doing a, a travel log. For the state of Kentucky, uh, you know, I tell my girls all the time. You know, St. Louis—they call it the gateway to the West. The original gateway to the West was coming through the Cumberland Gap. Kentuckians have been hardy from day one, so uh, definitely want to see more of the state. But um, yeah, that's—I can't believe we've we've turned into the travel channel. I mean, you know, just just a couple of things that just. Jump out to us. We have to just bring them into the show. Uh, a few more things to bounce around too, real quick. Um, Got him with Jeopardette the best, as we found out. I don't know if it was Wednesday night or Thursday or somewhere early last week that he's transferring for his fifth year. He'll go somewhere else. So we wish him the best, just like everybody else has. Uh, hate to see him go. Uh, and hope he does have a successful season where he does where he does decide to go to. Yeah, uh definitely I thought he was, was a was a outstanding deep threat. He still he he led the country in yards per catch or he was right there at it. Uh I mm-hmm. believe. So definitely uh you know you know, wish wish him the best. Uh yeah. I don't fault because you and it's, here's the thing too we don't know what's going on in his life. Like when, 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 when players leave or do different things, you don't know what all is going on. So I think, uh, you know, you just, you just wish him the best. My thing is once a cat, always a cat, you know, followed Kyle Wilcher's journey uh, when he left. Uh, so you, you, I definitely do wish him uh, the absolute best. You know, even Patrick Tolles, uh, when he was at BC, wish him the best. I, I think uh, it doesn't hurt to to wish a kid well. Exactly. Another thing you can't relate we have not talked about yet. Cal's podcast. You've been listening to those. The I have not. I, I I'm hearing good things, but I definitely want to sit down and and hopefully this weekend knock out a couple of those. And I tweeted this uh, when he announced it. A lot of coaches, you know, they make a big deal of, uh, I think it was Nick Saban, didn't know the election was going on. And you hear all these stories of coaches. I don't know what this tweeter, Twitter stuff is. You tweet it? Is it a bird? You know, a lot of these coaches act like they don't know anything about a computer and act like social media is bad. But, you know, our coach, you know, he's got his – is he getting close to 2 million followers, I think, on Twitter? And he's embraced it, and now he's got his own podcast. I mean, that is, that's the difference between your coach and my coach. My coach gets it, and your coach may not. So I think it's a good thing. Uh, again, in Kentucky overreaction. Was he going to be able to focus on his job? Look, Cal's got this. Uh, you know, the last thing I think 
he's going to do something that's going to jeopardize uh, him uh, being able to win another championship. So uh, I think it's fantastic. I'll be honest with you uh, that Cal's doing that. I've listened to three, maybe. This is the first one with Charles Barkley, which was awesome. The very first episode. There's one where him and the family, him and Ellen, Megan, Aaron, and Brad. It's pretty funny. Uh, and the one with Coach K. Listen to that one. Uh, I haven't heard one with him and Dan Patrick. Everybody's waiting for the one with him and Rick Tino that. He's teased it. He hasn't released it yet. Uh, but, yeah, I have to, to get him some time to set aside and listen to a couple more uh, as well. But that's just, just these little things. I'm just, we just kind of lose in TV. Stuff we hadn't talked about yet that, you know, we both know about and just hadn't mentioned it on the show yet. That's what we're doing right now. Um, last week we talked a lot about ESPN, kind of the way we knew it. Uh, starting the kind of ESPN we grew up with, with the retirement and stepping down of Chris Berman. And we knew Tom Jackson already, you know, retired before the start of the season. Uh, we're talking about primetime and Sports Center and watching Sports Center from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., even though it was, you know, the same team as Luke. Um, now we see where I wasn't a huge fan of Mike and Mike. But Mike Greenberg is leaving to take a TV spot. So, you know, they've been together since 98, Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick. And they're not going to be on anymore. So, you know, another change is coming. Uh, they're a, a good show, great show. I didn't love them, didn't hate them. I listened to them time to time. But, you know, kind of funny not knowing that they're not going to be synonymous with one another anymore. Yeah, I'm not really a big Mike and Mike fan. I think in an effort to be non-offensive, they got to be kind of vanilla a little bit. And I think they're on the far extreme of the embrace the debate. But I think you can have a nuanced discussion about things. Uh, But I I just think they were a little too non-offensive, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, 20-year run, so can't acknowledge that. I'm, I definitely like, you know, Scott Vettel, even when he's on the radio, like him on SportsCenter now. And coming up in a couple of weeks, the 6 o'clock SportsCenter is going to have Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, formerly of Numbers Never Lie, as well as His and Hers. Love His and Hers. Love Numbers Never Lie. Looking forward to seeing what they do on Sports Center. They did a lot of spoofs, you know, movies and stuff on his and hers. That the spoof budget is still going to be there on Sports Center. Not going to be just straight highlight show. They're still going, you know, add a personality in it and, and and bring their flavor to it, if you will. And you know, SVP at night and now Michael and Jamel in the evening time. I'm looking forward to that. I like both of them together and looking forward to setting them on Sports Yeah, ESPN, they're, they're trying different things, and you can't fault them for that. Uh, but I think it's it's absolutely fantastic because uh, I love uh, Jamel Hill. 
and, and Michael Smith. I, I, I like kind of the vibe they're coming from. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a little bit different than the old stuffy sports writer, but they, they still have some really good uh, nuanced points uh, that they're, they're trying to, to get across. And, I, and I, I think this is where ESPN, I think, is doing a, a better job. And I know this word, this phrase can sometimes set people off, but, uh, but diversity, having different voices, I think is, is, is a good thing. And you get with their different shows uh, that they have on ESPN, I think you get a nice cross-section for whatever the topic of the day is. You've got long-time newspaper writers that are on TV talking. You've got bloggers that get in. You've got kind of people that do both. Uh, you've got former players. I, I think ESPN's got a very good stable of, uh, of reporters. Yeah, and you meant you said you said vibe, I said flavor, and and we both want like what Mike and Jamel are bringing support of that, and like I said, the the nice mix of everybody, uh, different backgrounds, journalistic and sports background, and of course, shout out to Michael Eves, White Plains, New York, uh, White Plains, Kentucky, because he bleeds blue. He was on the team cast, and he's BBN, so BBN is representing up in Bristol, Connecticut. Thanks to Michael Eves. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's good that we've got a guy there in uh, Bristol to go along with some of those northeast, uh, north northeast alumni folks. Yes, and as we mentioned before, South Carolina comes to town Saturday. The Gamecocks will be in Rupp Arena. Uh, but right now they got to focus because they are at home in the battle of SEC unbeaten. Two unbeaten teams uh, besides Kentucky, South Carolina, and Florida. And the game is in Columbia right now. And South Carolina is leading for the ESPN.com 35-30. Last time I checked, Florida was up 28 21. So it looks like a 14 2 run. Yeah, 14 2 run to start the second half by the Gamecocks. They're looking to come to Rupp Arena, unbeaten in SEC play, uh, and trying to knock off number 19, Florida. Florida 5 0 in the league. South Carolina 4 0 in the league. Uh, Kentucky sitting at 6 0, waiting on the Gamecocks this weekend. I, I think the Cats handle. Uh, I think they take care of business. Uh, I saw an article on ESPN talking about how the soft, quote-unquote soft SEC, and, and if Kentucky dominates it, would be a bad thing. Uh, I didn't even read it because my thing is what would be worse is if Kentucky did not dominate a soft SEC. I think that would be a worse, <laughs> a, a worse uh, case scenario for me, uh, you know that's that's my thing. Yeah. You know, you know, last year it wasn't great, but we still won it. So, uh, and and my thing is from Rupp to Hall, Patino, Smith, even even Sutton and eh, you know Billy G to Cal. You know, the SEC, it's not as deep a basketball conference as other conferences at the top. Very, very good. But I think most SEC years, you've got Kentucky 
and somebody else. That's usually two or three teams. Uh, so that's not unusual, which is why my thing is, uh, and you see it, Cal and, and Patino and, 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 and Tubby, you, you, you play those big non-conference games. That's how you gauge your team. It'd be different if it was cupcakes, non-conference, and then we got into the SEC. Okay, then I'd be concerned. But, you know, we, we've seen how we can stand toe-to-toe against these other programs. I know we lost to UCLA. That could have gone either way. Uh, the Louisville game, yeah, we lost that one. That was a three-point game. That wasn't exactly a, a no-show. So I'm not as concerned as, as some of the folks make it out to be. Right. Yeah, I think Kentucky wins as well. But I'll, I'll check out a little bit of this Florida-South Carolina game just to see what's going on. My Houston Rockets are about to play the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the great freak and company, so I'll, I'll check that check that out as well. We also got Warriors Thunder Part 2 to check out. And also, save the best for last, the new class of MLB, Midland Baseball, Hall of Fame inductees, Yvonne uh, Pudge Rodriguez, longtime Texas Rangers, those other squads as well, which remember mostly with Texas where he was throwing out base stealers from his knees while he was nothing. Jeff Bagwell, longtime Houston Astros first baseman, most famous thing. I remember his back stance like he was just sitting on the toilet. Nobody squatted more <laughs> than the batter's box and Jeff Bagwell. Saving the best for last, Tim Rock Reigns going into the Hall of Fame. Montreal Expo stand up. I know that means a lot to you uh, because Tim Reigns was a bad dude. We were little kids. Tim Reigns was a bad man. You know, I, I mean, yeah. the only other dude that kind of put up there with Ricky Henderson is, is Tim Reigns. I mean, Ricky was Ricky is Ricky, but if you're the next one A, I'm putting Tim Reigns right there. Oh, my uh, introduction to Tim Raines was RBI baseball on the Nintendo uh, NES system uh, because he was an AA. You could hit and he was fast and you could steal with him. So, <laughs> that. but yeah, but he, you know, being an Expos guy, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's good. That's a good class. Interesting, though, that those guys get in, they deserve it. But you see that Bonds and Clemens are building up a little bit of steam. And I, I think that that is interesting to keep track of, that I don't know if, if the voting demographic is, is changing or if they're overall softening kind of on the what guys might have injected and that kind of thing. But they have increased. Uh, Trevor Hoffman fell a few votes short. Uh I, I like this class. You know you're getting old when guys you watch play start going to the Hall of Fame. That's when you know you're getting old. What's going to hit me is when when Kobe goes in to the Hall of Fame, uh, when uh, Derek Jeter goes into the Hall of Fame, guys that we have seen their entire career. Like, if, like we can remember the sport before them. That, to me, because, you know, we kind of grew up, you know, I was a, a, a young kid when I became a Jerry Rice fan, so seeing him go in was a huge thrill. But but being able to say, I remember 
the you know this guy's first season. That's going to be different. Uh, yeah. Father, Father Tom is undefeated, as they say. When it, when it changed from all the guys being older than you to all the guys being our age to now everybody's younger than us, and Kobe's right in the middle. With Jerry Rice older, Kobe our age, and now you know, LeBron and all them are and Steph and all them are younger. Uh, Rodriguez joins Johnny Bench as the only catcher to be elected to the Hall of Fame in the first year on the ballot. Well, that is pretty impressive. Jose Canseco is tweeting out a lot of shade, so uh, that's <laughs> probably not surprising either. Uh, but he, he, Jose Canseco, we need to save this for another show. And, and I know you, you and I have, have had some conversations with uh, uh, a guest on here that does baseball on on Twitter. We've had some conversations. I'd love to to, to have yeah. her on and talk about that because Jose Canseco, he's kind of crazy, but he's also been yeah. kind of right about a lot of stuff. So I yeah. think that would be a conversation uh, that I definitely would like to like to have you know at length. I was thinking about having their coach with spring training, but I can find that Twitter handle. Maybe we can talk about this next week because it's still be fresh. Just two can't think of tweets, and then we'll put the bed, put the put this show to bed. How <laughs> uh, the bleep is Jeff Bagwell being inducted to the Hall of Fame? Mark McGuire is not. That's disgusting. Uh, it's a great day for the hypocrisy of the Hall of Fame voting. Induct all that use PEDs or induct none. So that was just a couple. Of uh, Jose Sweet a couple hours ago. So, you know. But yeah, we definitely can get her on and, and hate before spring training. I was thinking, that's spring training, talking about the Cubs and Kennedy T. No, that kind of stuff. But hey, this will be, you're exactly right. We can get her on talking about that. Uh, next week, what are we trying to shoot today? We're talking, of course, Super Bowl and NFC and NFC title game, Kentucky, South Carolina. We'll be coming out of Knoxville next Tuesday, and then we're looking at Kansas the next day. It's going to happen overflow things next week, just like we've had in the past several months. A lot of stuff going on, man. Very, very good show. Fantastic. And again, I'm I'm not happy your Cowboys lost, but I'm not all that sad either. So there's that. <laughs> you just, at least you're being honest. Appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I'm going to watch these shoots of rockets. I hope you have a good night. Congrats to Big Miss. Tell Laura Brown and Little Miss hello as well. Yeah, I will definitely do that. You tell your family hello, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week. That's it. my man, Terry. Mr. T.B. Brown is Vinny Hardy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cat Talk Wednesday. Brown and Hardy Radio Network. Blogtalkradio.com. We'll see y'all next week. Take care, everybody.